This is the year small farm life is becoming a fast-paced life for many. We opted out. Today I'm going to talk about one of the reasons why. This week's story is about the sweet spot. You're listening to The Hearth of Sapbush Hollow with Shannon Hayes. Sapbush Hollow, chronicles and lessons from a life tied to family, community, and the land. I'm Shannon Hayes, and I operate Sapbush Hollow Farm with three generations of my family in the northern Catskill Mountains in upstate New York. I'm the chef owner of Sapbush Cafe, a farm-to-table and neighbor-to-neighbor experience open Saturdays in our tiny hamlet of West Fulton, and I'm also the author of a few books, including Radical Homemakers, The Grass-Fed Gourmet, and forthcoming Redefining Rich, Achieving True Wealth with Small Business, Side Hustles, and Smart Living, due out from Ben Bella Books in August 2021. This podcast is the audio version of my blog, which can be found at sapbush.com or theradicalhomemaker.net. It's two bushels of tomatoes this year and two bushels of green beans, and two bushels of peppers, when they're ready. I've doubled down on the canning and freezing. We have more mouths to feed at home, and we're not planning on going out in public much once it gets cold. That seems to be one of the themes for 2020. We feel it at the farm, the increased demand for meat. We feel it when we run down to Barbara's vegetable stand, the long lines exacerbated by the six-foot distances. We felt it back in the spring when the state sent out its new regulations for selling at the farmer's market. Maintain distances. Wear masks. No one is to touch the produce except the farmer. Find ways to make transactions as quick and efficient as possible. And then there was the real stickler. Minimize conversations was our directive. Small farming feels like it has become a fast-paced business overnight. I wasn't drawn to this for the fast pace. I got into grad school under the wing of a rural sociologist, Tom Lyson, who was obsessed with the civic side of small-scale agriculture, the conversations that took place at farmers' markets, the debates that might happen at the checkout at the road stand, the cooking pointers that might be passed along to the next generation as they bought their first roasting chicken or eggplant. Tom's theories were purely intuitive for me. 
The art of conversation, the willingness to sit for a spell and listen or talk while stopping by to borrow tools, pick up a dozen eggs, or drop off some extra zucchini, were instilled in me by my parents and neighbors. The exchanges are one part entertainment, one part education, and two parts social currency. This is how we debate local laws, persuade on political issues, learn who needs help, elect officials, find good doctors, discover home remedies, expand our culinary skills, or just ease the pressure on our spirits with laughter and storytelling. But suddenly, these things aren't supposed to matter in our industry. This is supposed to be the year for the small farmers to make their money. People finally want what we have to sell, safe, nutritious, local food. I'm hearing about farmers tripling their customer base, selling out, brokering in products to meet demand. I'm hearing story after story of gangbusters business. But our family farm didn't jump into the frenzy. We pulled out of the farmer's market. Rather than ramp up, we stepped back, then kept with our original production plan. Forty years on the land has taught us there's no such thing as a boom economy in farming. Increase the flock size too much, and you increase the likelihood of disease. Increase the production and sales pressure too much, and you increase the rate of physical breakdown, fatigue-related injuries, and stress. There's a sweet spot where the travails are manageable, we can rebound from loss and disruptions with relative alacrity, and we're able to keep peace amongst ourselves, for the most part. The sweet spot is the secret to our endurance, but it's not very sexy and it excludes us from bragging rights about gross revenues. And, admittedly, I've had my bouts of insecurity about it. I can't help fearing every now and then that we're missing the boat, overlooking a rare opportunity, failing to get ahead while the getting's good. But on Saturday, from the window at my griddle, I watch Mom mask up and weave in and around the cafe tables spread from our patio, out to the lawn, then through the parking lot, talking to people from their car windows, talking to people at their tables, talking to them beside their tailgates. She's doing what she has done for the past 40 years, using her farm to cultivate community and spark discourse. She's doing what Tom Lyson thought made the small farm so important to the vitality of rural America. As Bob and I cook food inside to nourish our customers' bellies, she stands at a distance and nourishes their spirits with conversation. Watching her, I'm reminded that this is why we do what we do. Our work is to nourish and restore on multiple levels, and right now, before the snow flies and pushes us all back to quarantine-level isolation, that social work is as important as growing food. Watching her reminds me that we small farmers needn't produce more and more and more until we become big farmers. To rebuild the broken food system, we just need more small farmers operating in the sweet spot. So we probably aren't going to launch ahead with record profits this year. We might be up a little, which will be nice. If we're lucky, we'll be ahead just enough so that we can afford to shut the cafe for the winter when the risk of COVID infection is too high. And hopefully we'll have canned enough green beans and tomatoes, sold enough meat, dished out enough cafe meals and good conversation to keep us and our customers warm until sunshine, spring weather, and maybe some good breakthroughs allow us back out again. 
But meanwhile, as summer wanes, it's time to serve up more farm breakfasts, pull more lattes, enjoy more chatter, herd the turkeys to fresh pasture, feed the pigs, move the sheep, and then put up the peppers. It's just another day in the life of the sweet spot. This podcast happens with the support of my patrons on Patreon. And this week, I'd like to send a shout out to my patrons, Deb Willis and Leanne Saltzman. Thank you, folks. I couldn't do it without you. Some of you may have noticed that the old episodes of The Hearth of Sapbush Hollow are slowly disappearing from public access. They're not gone. They're just moving over to my Patreon page. If you'd like to help support my work for as little as $1 a month, you can have access to all the archives anytime you want. Yay! Just hop over to Patreon and look up Shannon Hayes. Fall is right around the corner, and our blankets have come back from the mill. Each year, we send our fleeces to Prince Edward Island, where they're woven into the softest wool blankets you've ever felt. They are beautiful, machine washable, and they will last for generations. We also have our wool processed into organic comforters and pillows. Wool bedding is naturally fire retardant, and it enables your skin to breathe easier and helps your body to thermoregulate better than down or synthetics. We can ship our wool bedding anywhere, so scroll on over to Sapbush Farm Store and check them out. For those of you who've been following straight along, you've learned that Sapbush Hollow Farm, like so many small livestock farms across the nation, has lost access to our federally inspected slaughterhouses due to COVID-related upheaval. If you're one of our customers, please consider purchasing a meat share using our new CSA-style system so that we can continue to process your meat for you. The cuts will be the same, and the food will be just as safe, healthful, and delicious. It's just that the terms of our relationship have to change, where instead of being a customer, you become more of a shareholder. For steeper discounts, you can buy your shares up front. You can learn more about CSA shares at sapbushfarmstore.com. Sapbush Hollow is far from alone in this. Nationwide, small livestock farmers are being barred from the legal means to bring their products to market. We need your help. Prime Act S1620 is soon going before the Senate. It would allow the in-state sale of small farmers' meat processed at state-inspected custom slaughterhouses. Basically, it would enable local food processing for local food. Makes sense, right? And yet, there's a powerful lobby against it claiming that meat processed at state-inspected slaughterhouses would be unsafe. But... Every meat-related foodborne illness has taken place in a USDA facility. What our legislators need help understanding is that safety is a function of animal units overwhelming the system. If you're pushing 20,000 hogs through a USDA meatpacking house in a day, then you need some federal oversight. And even that, as history has shown us, will not correct the problem. The system is incredibly dangerous for the workers, as we've seen with the COVID outbreaks, and the odds of contamination are just too high. In a small system, like these custom slaughterhouses, oversight happens by operating the system at a slower, safer level. Custom slaughterhouses are operating for the small farmers, so they process animals for one farm at a time and they're moving through maybe 6 to 20 animals in a day compared to 20,000 at the meatpacking houses. That means it's not a stressed system. Problems can be stopped before they even start, and any issues can be traced back directly to the farm and the animals. 
This is a small farm-centric bill. It is not Democratic. It is not Republican. It's small farmocratic. So please, if you like to eat and you haven't already done so, take a minute to call or write your senator and urge them to sign on to S-1620, the Prime Act, to empower the small farmers of this country to save us from the next round of food shortages. Once you've done that, please reach out to your congressional representative in the House and ask them to support H.R. 2859. New York folks, listen up. We really need your help right now. You need to get a hold of Senator Schumer. Your voice is particularly important in this effort because of Senator Schumer's position as Senate Minority Leader. It is vital that he hear from as many New York residents as possible. Also, please make the time to call, not just write. Judith McGeary from Prom and Ranch Freedom says that's where the messages, quite literally, get heard. And for those of you who've written to tell me that you reached out, thank you. Here are some bells and wishes of gratitude. Now, in the event the Prime Act fails, I have a special favor to ask those of you who buy from local farmers. Keep supporting us. We have to change the structure of our businesses and marketing dramatically, and many of us will have to ask you to change with us. We need you to be forgiving, compassionate, and adaptable as we work through these hard times. If you can stick by us through this, it will be a great big win for local food. On to other news, Sapwish Cafe remains open for outdoor dining and takeout. You can find us Saturdays from 9 to 1 for breakfast and lunch and 5 to 8 for dinner. That said, dinner is just a mom and pop show with Bob and me, so we are accepting no more than 8 guests during the entire shift. This is the magic number where we can balance solvency, safety, service, and our personal sanity. The sweet spot. So please email me at shannon at sapbush.com if you want to make a reservation. And for goodness sake, wear your your masks. That said, please be aware that we will be closed the Saturday after Labor Day, Saturday, September 12th. This will also be the last podcast for a few weeks. We launch each new school year with a wilderness camping trip with the kids, so we will be off in the backcountry grooving on the mountains and streams for a few weeks. We will reopen the cafe on September 19th. Any online orders received between September 6th and 16th will be filled upon our return. And a huge shout-out thank you goes to my big brother, Sean, his wife, Lindsay, and their daughter, Mila, who are coming in during that time to cover the farm for us. If you see them, be sure to thank them for us, because there's no way my big brother would be interested in listening to his stupid sister's podcast and hearing these words of gratitude here. Sean, Lindsay, and Mila, if you do listen, here are some happy howls of appreciation from the dogs. And a few choruses of thanks from the turkeys, pigs, and sheep. Now, to my fellow farmers, again, thanks for listening, and thanks for the work you're doing. We are navigating through a lot of instability as a nation. Now, more than ever, we need each other to be there and to hold strong. We are weaving a new food system, and we're trying to sow peace and sustenance amidst pain, loss, hatred, and confusion. We can get through this. We are getting through this. We can come through this period with a healthier planet, a healthier food system, and with greater justice and kindness. But we need as many people at the table as possible to make it work. 
So please remember that you cannot execute your calling if you aren't well. Take care of yourselves. The work we can do to build health and restore community is endless, but we can only do what the day allows. Please be kind to each other, then get some rest so you can keep going strong tomorrow. The work will always be there another day. I'll be back in a few weeks, folks. This was produced and edited by the sexiest man alive, my husband Bob Hooper, and the great music we're listening to comes to us from memory. Thanks for listening and have a great week.